everybody. Welcome to Interverse. This is Chance. Today I talked to my new friend Lindsay. This will be episode 23 of season two. Yeah, that's pretty far along there. I don't really know how I define seasons, but maybe I'll figure that out someday. <laughs> Lindsay's a new friend, though. I met through my wife, Haley. They're in an art class together. Although Lindsay's more than an art student, she's a true artist. Well, I guess everybody's an artist, but, you know, she really does work on her own for herself, for fun, for her own therapeutic benefit. We talk about all the reasons why she's always loved to draw and what, what that means for her in this episode. I'll link to her pages in the episode description, so make sure you check that out. First of all, she's got her deviant art, and that's Mocha Asaki. I believe that's how you would say that. Same name for Minds.com, so like I said, both profiles are going to be linked in the episode description. Go follow her. Enjoy the really cool anime-style artwork, as you maybe saw in the cover art. In this episode, you'll get a lot of conversation about, like, I mentioned artwork, but also about the danger of culture, what mind control really is and how government is that, and plenty of other topics that seem negative maybe on the outside, but there was nothing negative about our conversation, and we did talk about solutions as well, specifically just getting free of dependency on external things, why that's important, what the true nature of self is, what the soul is. That's something that maybe isn't thought about on an everyday basis by every person. But for me, I'm always contemplating that question of what actually is the soul? To me, the answer is maybe kind of complicated, but also simple. And the simple answer would be your soul is the motivator. It's the witness that reacts to what is experiencing and then motivates you to do something for an, a desired result, I guess. And if you've lost track of what motivates you or you never knew, or you're not motivated by what you want, but instead you're motivated, motivated by what you think others want or what you feel forced into being motivated to do through fear, you're not really in touch with your real soul at that point. Your soul has been kind of given over to whatever it is that you're letting motivate your actions for you. And that could be a lot of things. It could be a religion. It could be an institution. It could be a, the military. It could be a group identity that tells you what to think because you're one of them. There's a lot of, a lot of examples of this in the world. So why I'm going on about this is, I guess, to talk about why I'm motivated to do this show. And... Lately, I've been kind of at a divide about what what I'm trying to do with this, I guess. Because on one hand, my intention has always been to be a platform where I can make other artists get more exposure for what they're doing and boost their confidence and maybe direct monetary energy towards them from the audience if people want to buy stuff and all that. And that sounds pretty cool as a concept. But the further I get into doing podcasting, the more I realize that the thing I've always been wanting to share and help other, people's, other people seek is the truth. And although I didn't even understand the nature of truth when I first started this podcast, I was actually still, like many people, 
under a delusion that there wasn't even such a thing as truth. Now I realize that that's an absurd idea. Like, seriously, just think about it logically. If there's no such thing as truth, is that statement true? Yeah, thank you, Nathan Crabtree, for that brilliant, brilliant deduction there. <laughs> so, I don't know. if you if, Truth is really important, right? So, what does that entail? What is sharing truth? It's complicated. Sharing truth, though, ultimately, to me, would be helping others with information and knowledge that lets them see the underlying structures of what it is that makes them do things when it's not their own motivation to do it. And if you look around society and any culture, really, because culture just does this in inherently, you'll see many, many people zombie-like shuffling through the motions of, I got to go through this hoop to get this reward. And that's like no different than dog training, whether it's you're going through a graduated system of indoctrination to get a degree or you're moving up some sort of hierarchy in a corporate organization where you work. What do you get at the end of the day for that? You get basically dog treats or money, I guess. And I'm not calling you a dog. I'm definitely not because, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I still work at a job that I find it difficult to go to every day. Although, honestly, if I could just go to it a few days, I would love it. But I'll figure that out. Um, you know, I, I still put other people in a bad position when I talk to them sometimes. I, I, I have a tendency to come across like I know and I got to tell them. And I, it's hard to change that kind of stuff even when you're aware of it. I interrupt people all the time. I, mean, I could go on about my bad qualities and maybe I shouldn't do that since I'm trying to get you interested in listening to my show. But my point is we're all in it together in this journey of trying to figure out why we are doing what we're doing and how we can do something that's more like what we actually want to be doing. And going back to my definition of the soul, which is what motivates you to do things, makes you want to do things. If our souls have been co-opted and our motivations have been taken over by mind control, then what are we going to, when are we ever going to get out of that? Like people just stay in that until they die. And then that last moment of life, they go, oh, what was I doing? It was all for nothing. Blah. And then they're dead. Fuck, I don't want to be like that. I know you don't want to be like that. I mean, hopefully that's why you're listening to the show. And if it is, then maybe that's the maybe that's the real motivation for this show and not really the art aspect. Um, I, honestly, wanting to make this a promotional show for our other artists to try to help them out. In my mind, I was like, okay, that's that's a good goal for the show because you're trying to help others and you know, you can benefit off of that. But that last part is the problem. I was just trying to think of what would be a good angle to come at this podcasting world that other people aren't, you know, coming at it with. What would be a, a good angle that would make me able to support myself off of the show and make enough money to not have to work a regular job? And ultimately, even though I was deceiving myself and saying, this show is about uh, helping other artists make it and helping them get exposure. Well, if that's what it was about, I'm doing a damn poor job because really the other artists are the one, the people coming on the show are the ones that are giving me exposure. And maybe someday that'll change. The audience will grow. 
but I don't care about that now that I really think about it. Like, what's my real motivation? It's not to have a large audience. It's to have people listening and communicating back with me that are also on the same journey of seeking and sharing truth. And so, yeah, in the future, that's going to mean a lot of artists are coming on the show. But just talking to you guys right now, this has convinced me that I'm changing it. I'm changing the motivation of the show. And maybe that won't really change your listening experience that much. But my motivation of the show is no longer to be a show about art or artists or promoting art. It's strictly a show about truth. Figuring that out. Helping each other learn natural law principles through our own experiences and helping each other understand knowledge that's been hidden from mankind or that is yet to even be discovered. Although I don't know about that because when you think about it, there's nothing new under the sun. Think about that. So sharing truth back to, back to that. That's the new, the new aim of the show. That's the direction we're going. I'm going to change kind of some of the structure of Patreon because of that. So if you're a subscriber of Patreon already, be aware. But, um, oh yeah, I guess Patreon's important. <laughs> uh, will you guys go to patreon.com forward slash interverse and subscribe? Yeah, maybe not after that rant, but maybe you will. Maybe, maybe you realize we're in alignment. Um, I do need listener support to make this show better than what it is to give myself more ability to get equipment to have more time to actually dedicate to putting it together doing a better job of that i'd love to have more production value and i'd love to learn about that so anyway if you guys wanted to send me some energy through patreon that would be super appreciated i promise that i'm coming to a better awareness of my own motivations and I think the fact that I'm now realizing the importance of being motivated by truth, truth herself, because it's a she, I guess. Being motivated by the goddess of truth. That is what really matters, because that means I am actually here to help people. Because let's face it, truth isn't that popular. So if that's my motivation, if truth's my motivation, it's not a motivation that's about making myself more popular, getting myself more Patreon subscribers. Or any of that. It's a motivation that's strictly about what's best and what's right for you and for me and and for the world. And that's not about having dogma about what's right. I'm not going to come at you and say that there's such a thing as laws that humans can create and tell each other what to do. No. I mean, basically, right and wrong just comes down to did what I do impinge upon someone else's freedom or harm them? Yes or no? If yes, it's wrong. If no, it's right. And that someone else can be animals and that someone else can be the earth. Everything has beingness. So just try not to wrong each other and then you'll be doing the right thing. All right. This rant has probably gone on long enough. I hope, uh, hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Don't usually do this, but I think maybe I will because uh, it's more honest if I just talk to you guys like I'm talking to you right now. And don't try to make this something that maybe it's not. And what this show really is, I've, I've come to the realization, is to, it's, our, it's our way of going to the next level together. So please be in touch with me, interverse.podcast at gmail.com. I want to make episodes with you, whoever you are listening right now that's really thinking about what I'm saying. 
And I love you for listening. Thank you so much. If you know someone else that might be interested in this type of material, please share it. That would be great. The more of us in the conversation, the better. And now I'll get on to the episode with Lindsay. Don't forget to check the episode description for links to everything that is going on in our conversation and to Patreon and especially to Lindsay's page. And although I wasn't able to acquire permission to use this music, I don't think it's really going to hurt anything retroactively. Maybe if somehow he heard this episode, he would be okay with me using his music. But the amazing metal, progressive metal opera music that you heard is by Devin Townsend Project. I'm going to link to that in the description. I just recently discovered his work, really rekindled my love for the genre, and it's pretty heady shit, as they say. So check out that also. Thanks again for putting up with my super long introduction rant or whatever that was. Now let's go talk to Lindsay. Please do your best to open your hearts to a warm welcome for my new friend, the human being and artist known as Lindsay Smith. Hello. Hello, Lindsay. So Lindsay and I are just getting to know each other. Um, We actually met because she and my wife Haley have an art class together. And you know me, I like to talk to people who like to do art. And so uh, here Lindsay is in the studio. We're getting to know each other a little bit. And so yeah, say... Say hi and uh, maybe describe a little bit of um, what it is that you like to do um, with life. <laughs> it can be anything. I don't care. Anything. Um, well, I'll talk about art first. That's um, a good place to start always. Yeah. It. I've I've been drawing since forever. Um, man, I don't know. I always used to get in trouble. At first, it just started out like just a hobby. Like I got inspired by anime, and I was like, "Man, I want to do cool stuff like that too." I can totally relate, actually, because when I was a kid, I used to draw Dragon Ball Z characters constantly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I would kind of like make up my own characters a lot, and I don't know, like I would just constantly get in trouble for for drawing in class. And then later on through the years, like drawing started helping me like cope through a lot of things in life like it's okay if this gets a little deeper oh absolutely it's a it's uh whatever you want to talk about this Uh, is it 
It can be as deep or shallow as you wish. Okay. Um, well. It goes out only to an awesome audience of fellow artists and creators anyway, so everyone's going to be right there with you. Okay. Um, well, my dad's not the best person, and so drawing really, like, helped me cope with that instead of, like, taking out my emotions in the real world. I'd be able to draw them and kind of draw how I was feeling. And they kind of deal, the themes of my drawings really deal with like sexual abuse and domestic violence and assault. Um, I kind of grew up just watching my dad, you know, abuse my brother and my mom and myself. And so I just, I kind of had like all this, this, bad energy just like bottled up inside and drawing was like definitely a good way to vent all that out without you know venting it on others or myself you can kind of take that energy and externalize it and then um i mean it doesn't take away the possible you know tenderness or pain from any particular memories maybe but it does it does help for any kind of negative energy to look at it and Whenever um, there's so much negative energy that's inside because of trauma or abuse, the last thing that people are able to do in that situation a lot of times is look within. Mm-hmm. It actually cuts off a person's ability to look within. So sometimes we can externalize these things and be able to look at them more clearly and objectively, putting them into characters that we're writing about or images that we're drawing or painting. and. Mm-hmm. Or even just like a personal journal where you just talk, literally it's you that you're talking about. I actually have a bunch of journals like that. I call them stress journals and all. (laughs) Like I carry them around with me everywhere. Like anytime I'm thinking anything, I'll just, I'll write it down and it definitely helps a lot. That's cool. I, uh, I just admire any person that has a personal practice of doing whatever it is that they know to do that is going to benefit themselves and help them grow and move past move past the past and be in the present even if it's just a gradual process that we're you know mm-hmm. taking step by step um, your cat likes my hair yeah i'm actually going to take a quick pause and abolish the cats from the room because <laughs> they are out of control right now they really like you Lindsay. that's good okay cats have been abolished but yeah um to get back to kind of where we were started you you mentioned you would maybe even get in trouble for drawing a little bit in school yeah um fifth grade fifth grade I think it was like that was the start of all of it like I I got like an old composition book I still have this thing and I would just start like drawing my own characters and making names and little stories for them my teacher just Anytime I would lose focus or anything, I'd just start drawing. Like, I wouldn't pay attention in class, like, ever. I would just draw all the time. Um, and he would he would do everything he could to, like, stop me. Like, he'd take all my paper, he'd take my pencils, but I'd, like, get up a back up, like, a backup or something. It's so ridiculous how um, misinformed a lot of our education uh, providers really are about how the brain works, mm-hmm. because... Even like for a very for a very active mind, it's really not enough to be for a more balanced type of person. It's not really enough to be just taking in information all day in a 
you know, one directional way. And for me anyway, like even when I'm at work, I'm in a meeting, someone's trying to present something, talk about something. I have a notepad and instead of taking notes, I'm drawing little dudes, (laughs) you know, drawing little aliens or whatever it is. And it doesn't prevent me from taking in information if I want to take in information. Mm -hmm. It does prevent me from being bored as fuck. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) that That was definitely a big part of it. And you know, as an artist, that every little line that you draw adds an experience point to how straight of a line or how good of a curve or, you know, all those little aspects of, of the craft itself. It doesn't just manifest instantaneously. It's got to be constantly chiseled away at. There's got a momentum Mm -hmm. to be had. Yeah. uh, I've noticed like in my art classes, I, I personally don't really like art classes. Um, I feel like they kind of suck out the creativity you have. Now, depending who it's taught by and how like lenient they are, I think it can be better. Um, I remember I had one art teacher. They were very mathematical about art. Like, they were like, there's one way to Very left-brained. Huh? Kind of left-brained and rigid. Yeah. Um, it was like... It was just, it was so strict. It was like there was no freedom or creativity with how to learn. It was like you have to learn by these specific steps. Like this is the only way to learn. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just, I kind of like was like, okay, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of systems only work if you give the person, I feel like you have to give the person or you can give a, a student guidelines and like, um, you know, for this, because some people do want to come at art in a left brain way and want to be just given directions and, and let themselves practice that way. And that's fine. But if you, again, if you're the educator who's just like, okay, this is the only way that you can learn how to do the thing. That's ridiculous. Um, go, go back to history and look at any of the brilliant artists who basically just taught themselves and you'll be proven completely wrong that it needs to be done a certain way. I understand having the help to do some of these things, but I do think it's it's very important to kind of teach yourself because then you learn like, you know, your own abilities and your own interests and all this that goes into it. And you develop what is unique about your way of doing it, mm-hmm. which is very important, I think. Um, to me, art is really defined for a person by what it is that that person can figure out how to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that'll end up being a different set of skills and techniques and expressions for every person. And that's why there's a complete infinite range of artistic expression. That's why everybody can be an artist and really is, despite even if they think they're not. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes I'll notice like myself, especially in high school, myself or one of my friends of mine would be drawing and a stranger would be sitting across at a table that we don't know necessarily. And then they'll like pull out something and maybe start doodling. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like that inspiration, you can kind of see it happening like from one person to another. Yeah. There's a good value in um, art partying, getting together and doing art together. Like I was showing you some uh, pictures and stuff from Envision Festival. Mm -hmm. There is an entire art gallery there. Uh, Like uh, they built it was sort of half indoor, half outdoor, but it was enclosed in case it had rained. And um, there were a couple of dozen, I would say, live painters and live artists that were hanging out. Awesome. Yeah. And so like their work was in the gallery, but then they were also hanging out near 
near it doing live painting during the shows. Yeah. And there were some un, unreal artists there, mostly of the like visionary art category. If mm-hmm. you're familiar with, you know, Alex and Allison Gray, Mine. really. Yeah. So visionary art would just be um, art that tries to symbolize transcendent meaning. Mm-hmm. So even actually uh, something as simple as like what we were looking at with those tarot cards I picked up today mm-hmm. would be a type of visionary art because it's symbolizing um, higher metaphysical truths within the artwork. But with modern visionary art, the, the noticeable component would be like like the shirt I'm wearing, <laughs> the super psychedelic. <laughs> and to describe my shirt, it's this uh, Chris Dyer shirt. So if you are familiar with Chris Dyer... Good for you if you're not. Look at the episode notes because now that I'm talking about it, I'm going to link it and you're going to be like, whoa, that's some wild and wacky stuff. Really colorful. But that's my favorite kind of thing. Um, but that's a cool thing, too, about art is when I was looking at decks to pick out a deck, there was one that was all black and white. And yeah, and that was just as powerful as something colorful because you have an infinite range of shade between white and black. Yeah, I think sometimes black and white can portray more emotion. I I always started out with sketches, like I never had anything digital to draw on, and I didn't. I was always too scared to actually color in my stuff because I thought I would ruin it. <laughs> and so I just I mostly sketched with pencil, and I don't know. It's always it's been one of my favorites. Like now I have that big drawing tablet, and I do work with color, but I, I still really like the black and white just thin lines of sketching and shading. Yeah, it's an entirely different technique and mindset and result. Mm -hmm. For me, I use a lot of color to just disguise the fact that my line art, my black and white game is really weak. Oh, no. (laughs) My color game is really weak, so. Yeah, uh, it's, well, I wouldn't say my color game is necessarily strong strong unless you consider it strong to just use a bunch of colors wildly. (laughs) (laughs) I think think it has a certain aesthetic to it that works pretty well. Yeah, well, it's, uh, See, it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. That's the beauty. Yeah, or there's never any right or wrong way. Like, it's just, if you like it, then do it. There's that big part of art where it's like, art is not being afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it's just having that freedom to just go out and discover, you know. I had a, some pretty bad art block. <laughs> For a while, I was like, man, I don't know what to draw, or I just don't feel like what I'm drawing is going to be good enough. And it was maybe about a month since I had drawn, and I was just like, I sat down on my tablet, and I was like, man, like, everything I draw, I just feel like it's it's missing something. It's not what I want. It's not what I like. And so I, I just searched around on the internet for, like, inspirational videos, and something that kind of got to me was like what you need to do is like I think there's this there's a lack or you know like people are forgetting that a part of art is not being afraid to make mistakes Mm -hmm. and I think that was a big part of why I had this huge art block and then also um I was kind of not making art for myself too much anymore. I was like, Mm. man, if I want to turn this into a career, I got to, you know, put out things that I think other people would like. Then I was like, 
but then I have no motivation to draw and it's not, it never kind of turns out the way I want it exactly. And I feel like that definitely takes a lot away if you're not enjoying what you're doing. And so I finally got over that wall. I'll tell you now, you don't have to do things a certain way just to yeah. guarantee that you're going to make a living doing it. And in fact, the more you can free up your expression to be free of your own judgment of it, mm-hmm. the more likely that it's going to generate value. And then it's just a question of figuring out how to get that valuable thing in front of the people who have, you know, the same type of ability to value it. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of the internet because we've got seven and a half at this point or seven billion people on the planet. Yeah, maybe not all of them are on the internet, but even if you just confine that to our country yeah. or the few countries that are really connected by the internet, how many people does it take? to be a fan of your work and therefore a certain percentage of them would pay for it mm-hmm. before you can start at least partially or fully sustaining yourself on that. Realistically, it's like less than a percent. It's less than a fraction of a percent of all the people on the internet mm-hmm. this is how many you need to like know about you. And it's completely possible to do. It's, it just requires sort of getting on that path of uh, continually making it and making it in a putting it in a space where it can be found i guess mm-hmm. and then staying in that rhythm and you know the, it's a self-edifying practice because instead of doing something like watching tv or playing a game uh or even in some cases certain types of reading mm-hmm. that are just in a way just for entertainment um not that those things are inherently bad yeah. whenever you're doing something like art that has a container to put it in too. You're not just sort of doing it and leaving the sketches um, where no one can see them. You are putting energy into that container and it's getting more and more full. And uh, it stays, it sort of stays valuable. It retains that energy that you're putting into it. And it's, you're able to then tap back into that energy. And it's like, it's like planting a seed, I guess, is what I would describe it as. For myself, whenever I opened an Etsy shop and started selling stuff on there, it really, really helped me be motivated to keep making stuff, actually. Oh, yeah. And then uh, for making the podcast, whenever I started a Patreon page, have you heard of Patreon? Yeah, I've, I've been kind of curious about making one. Yeah. I see it all over the place. Okay, well, you should do that because that is a guaranteed... That's a that's guaranteed support. It's just a matter of how long it'll take. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got it and you put and you plant the seed and invest energy into that seed, then there's at least some people that you know that eventually are going to be like, yeah, I'll give you a dollar a month. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. And so what if all that that amounts to, and even the first couple months or year mm-hmm. uh, is all that amounts to is maybe twenty bucks a month. That's still, it's you can spend that on, dedicate that on spending on supplies or something. Yeah. And build it from there and the seed will grow. Uh, if you do start a Patreon, I'll send you a creator link and it allows us to uh, both get a little bit of bonus money. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Essentially, if you set up your Patreon so that it's ready to go before you launch it, where it's like all, all super set up mm-hmm. and then you hustle really hard in the first month to get like just friends and family on board for $1, $2, $3 a month, mm-hmm. depending on how many people you get um, and how much money you get pledged, 
we would both get up to like $200 bonus oh money. That is crazy. I've been wanting to get some other people to join Patreon and do the, do that uh, commission thing, I guess, because it literally can only help. And yeah. that, that site only takes 5% of your monthly pledge mm-hmm. as a like fee. So it's actually a really good deal. Yeah, that does sound pretty cool. I think, I mean, I obviously have a PayPal. That's usually what I use for transactions. Um, I started one other thing one time. I forgot. I completely forgot what the title or the website was. It was something kind of like Patreon, but I don't think I, I don't use it anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are a lot of cool crowdfunding sites, but what I like about Patreon is that it has a, you can do a tiered structure for the rewards, uh-huh. so that. Um, <clears throat> Depending on how much the person's paying you a month, you can decide what that means that they get access to. Oh, yeah. Like, at a certain amount, say, just ballparking $30 a month, you would do, like, a commissioned custom piece for them once a month. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And really, there's people out there that would love something like that. People that love the yeah. same kind of things that you like to draw and that you like to do. Um, I, it, like I said, just a matter of finding them and mm-hmm. I think you're doing deviant, deviant art which you showed me and that's a great community for um, especially for uh, anime related artists yeah. I, and from what I've been able to glean from whenever I visited although a lot of photography there too yeah I, I do have a lot well I don't have a lot more but I do have some photography on there um, for a while I kind of wanted to like have a side business of photography because I was like it's it's fun and I like it like you know why not um now it's kind of just more like I mean I'm still open for like if it could be like a side business but I kind of just anytime I go out and like explore in nature I do I go to a lot of like abandoned houses and into the woods a lot I actually just went on a hike with my friend um near a creek and around where I live and we we got a little lost, so we were out there for I think four hours. But it was it was pretty cool. We we came a lot a lot of stuff, came across a lot of stuff like just in the middle of nowhere. There's just like tiny ponds like full of little tadpoles, and there's just a bunch of flowers. And we actually came across a deer. It was it's just it's really cool. I like going out into nature and collecting plants and taking pictures. It's just, it's a nice escape from it all. I think I may have brought this up on the podcast before, but there's a phenomenon in Japan and Korea called forest bathing. Have you heard of this? Uh Uh-uh. Well, if you're familiar with Japanese culture, you would know that it's one of the more overworked cultures in the world, especially Mm -hmm. like the the male working age class people. So it's become very popular for these businessmen to go on these forest bathing retreats where they go into the like old cypress forest that Japan has Mm -hmm. and something combination of the natural essential oils and terpenes from that type of tree. And also what I believe is going on is like the coherence of the overall field that you're in whenever you're embedded in nature versus whenever you're embedded within a city with, you know, Wi-Fi and weird fluorescent light frequencies and that constant low grade hum of static from a speaker that's somewhere nearby. And, all of those things combined create a dissonant field, and that is just a constant little bit of energetic or a lot of energetic drain on you. And then some parts of that field are electromagnetic in nature and can have other types of effects on 
our mind and stuff like Wi-Fi signals actually are carried on the same uh, frequency band that our thoughts project out on um, through the bioelectric machinery of our nervous system. Oh. So there's literally a disruption going on whenever we're yeah. sort of embedded within our our uh, our shell of our, you know in our homes and in our schools and at our jobs and in town in general. So mm-hmm. literally just going out in nature and wandering around has dramatic therapeutic effects on people. And that's why it's become so popular in the super overstressed and overly condensed type of culture that Japan is. And um, that's why I try to also go out and get a hike going or yeah. something like that when I can, but I do not do it enough. I'll admit to that. I really would love to just go on a wander where there's not even a path or a trail and just get that's, truly lost. That's basically what we did. We like hiked up like the side of like this rock face and then we like broke through a bunch of the trees and collected flowers. And... I'm going to fix this mic. I just knocked it sideways. I do think there needs to be uh, more of a like connection with nature nowadays because everything is so man-made it's just like you know we're in a zoo yeah it's a human zoo yeah it is it's like we didn't we didn't come from man-made stuff we came from nature and like animals in the zoo we didn't get to choose whether or not we were going to live like this or if we're going to live naturally yeah like i i plan whenever i get my own house and everything to like grow my own foods and maybe build some of my own stuff because there's there's so much to benefit from that like and if you've ever tried i'm sure you've tried you know natural foods versus like the mass-produced store-bought stuff when i made that change it was one of the most dramatic improvements in my personal energy and well-being and mm-hmm. um uh, seriously i could i could not stress it enough how important it is to actually start shifting your diet towards organic and healthy foods because uh, we talked about it a lot in the last episode of the podcast I, I had with my friend Chris and essentially a lot of the foods that people eat literally contain the vibrational signature of fear itself. Oh. Especially especially factory farmed meats. Those are the Yeah, I I don't I really don't eat meat too much and then I I've never like I don't remember the last time I went to fast food. Like, it's been years. I remember um, I went to McDonald's after I hadn't gone for a very long time, and I got so sick from eating one of their hamburgers. I was just growing up. It was so bad. There's so many strange and odd chemicals going on in there. And what I mean by the vibrational frequency of fear, to just quickly summarize that, is amongst other reasons why it's totally evil to have a torture and murder system for yeah. other other living beings the way that that meat is harvested creates stress in the animal for its entire life up until the point it dies and a lot of fear in the animal and that there are physiological components to that and you are what you eat so if you're taking in all these like cortisol and stress chemical things from the animal you're eating and not to mention whatever else is put in there like yeah. growth hormones and weirdness all these preservatives it's it's mostly preservatives you eat and all that meat it's, it's poison it it's is. poison so bad i'm not even convinced that we're omnivores yeah I, i'm really not i mean just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean it's what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. that's how i feel um but 
I would never tell someone that's living in like Alaska or the or the Antarctic and there's only meat available as yeah. a food source that they shouldn't eat. But I would tell them, hey, just get in the car with me. Let's go to where it's warm. <laughs> Let's go to where it's warm. We can Forget grow. This. Food just comes out of the ground. It, it grows right out of the ground. And you don't have to go hunt uh, a polar bear or whatever, dude. And then, you know, it's up to them from that point. But yeah. if you if you do stay in that type of environment and that type of lifestyle, as we've seen, it's a very repetitious type of living. Mm -hmm. And I know there are souls that incarnate in an Inuit style life that Mm -hmm. learn and benefit and grow and come onto another level maybe Mm -hmm. after their life. But it seems like there's not a lot of building blocks to play with in that place. Yeah, you know I mean? you're, you're, you're kind of secluded in the middle of nowhere. And you're paint with, like, sealed blood. That's all you can do <laughs> for art. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there's definitely a huge sense of tradition. I think that's why some of them probably don't move. Also, choose to stay there. Like, this is a part of tradition. It's very important. Yeah. It's kind of hard to choose between tradition and, you know, the benefit. Well, culture is mind control. It is. By its nature. I'm in sociology and I'm reading all of this and how, yeah, culture is just a big social construction that it's it's pretty much not designed to keep people doing the things that the culture does Mm -hmm. completely. Um, It's antithetical to freedom, culture is, but that, that requires you to define culture as one thing and then take other things that people associate with culture and define them as something else. And that's part of the problem with why we're completely trapped in the or why we've been completely trapped in this particular matrix as a Mm -hmm. society is that our language it prevents us from having a different mode of thinking about things yeah so like literally uh culture is made out to be everything under the sun that humans create that is not the definition of culture, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Culture is something that is like grown and directed on purpose, like in a petri dish, and con- yeah. controlled, and is like a, you know, it's a social engineering. It's an experiment. It's something, something that's setting itself up as greater, and deciding that this is what everything under it should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and then everything that we're talking about with human expression, you can call that art. That's fine. Call it something different, though. There's an art and culture are not the same thing. And true art is the enemy of culture, typically. Or at the very least, true art is usually in bad taste <laughs> or abnormal. Yeah. Um, not saying all art is, I guess, but... Yeah. Um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, I rant about culture all day. <laughs> because yeah. what, it is, what it is is a system of setting up authorities. And authorities themselves are entities that tell the individual this is right. And regardless of what you think, you're going to think this mm-hmm. under the threat of violence or death, even even when that threat is so well veiled that we don't think of it that way. But like, try not paying your taxes. They will put you in a cage. Yeah. They will. The um, I don't know if this is the exact definition, but it's, it's a close definition that uh, government is something that has control with violence yeah and it's just uh, the state has a monopoly on violence uh-huh. is a way of putting that yeah that's what it's about it's like 
it's like as stupid as whenever a parent tells their, their kids, don't hit somebody. And then the kid does something they're not supposed to do, and the parent hits them. It's a very hypocritical. It's what like, the fuck? Yeah, it's that's not gonna get anywhere, especially you know you you demonstrate for your child what to do. When you look into the true history of what governments even are, um, what our civilizations have been built around, it's like there was this original group of people who were maybe bigger or stronger or meaner or in some way psychopathic, mm-hmm. and so they bullied other groups of people into being afraid of them. Like you got to give us some of your shit or we're going to kill you. And like, that's, that's a mafia style thing. Well, that's what governments are. They're mafias that we all agree with and uh, are not looking at that way, but it's banditry on many levels. It's a bunch of, a bunch of energy vampires finding their little places to leech off of you. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the highway patrolman that, pulls you over and gives you a ticket even though you really didn't do anything to endanger anyone. You were like yeah. seven miles per hour over the speed <laughs> limit. Well, and, you know, that's the highwayman from medieval times. Because guess what? Those highwaymen, those highway bandits that were in medieval times, the reason why the king didn't send the army over and wipe them out is because he was giving money to the king after he robbed people. That was like the whole job. So kings, governments, all that, completely set up as ways to take what people create for the, and uh, redirect that energy into a centralized place and try to grow that power as the one power. And, um, you know, we got to take back our own personal authority from those type of systems as much as possible. And that's why I liked so much what you're saying about getting into gardening and yeah. like reestablishing your own creative um, abilities to make things for yourself and generate things for yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is true, but a lot a while back, I, I read somewhere that I either read or I saw it, but it's it's almost like the government does not want you supporting yourself. They they won't let you support yourself. Like you can't live on your own patch of land for free. You have to always pay the government because everything is the government's. And then you can't have like natural energy constantly like river and wind and solar power because it's just, it's so corrupt and mm-hmm. all it is is It's money. thieves that banded together yeah. and tricked us into thinking that they were, they were good for us. Mm-hmm. And that is why they want to create dependencies because the, the more dependent you can get people on these systems, then the more docile and easily controlled they are. And it's to the point now where they're really on unrolling some really amazing new levels of mind control for the population. And they're seeming to just want to turn human beings into computers or something. The way that Facebook was operating before I got out of there was literally like, we're going to serve you up this narrative, bing, bang, boom, from all the sources that you consider trustworthy because we've got you hooked into them now, mm-hmm. but in reality, they're just the ones that we want showing up on your newsfeed. And uh, yeah, then we can get everybody reacting to the same program all together at once. And they tested it out with a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the, the ultimate is that the what made me really see it for what it was, was when the, <laughs> the Trump narrative started to form. Mm-hmm. And now we have a reality TV star who's in the White House. And if you know anything about the origins of Hollywood and Alastair Crowley, the Order of the Golden Dawn, when they set up Hollywood, it was always their goal to be able to 
um, eventually start getting actors and people from Hollywood into the positions of power in the White House. Okay. And that's why yeah, Ronald Reagan as president at one point, um, you'll see um, Arnold Schwarzenegger as a governor. You'll see uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be moving into politics soon, I have a feeling. I've heard about that. Um, but Trump is like one of the biggest reality stars of all time. Yeah. So what that does is it allows them to really deliver all new levels of bullshit and fiction into people's minds because they're getting the lines blurred between reality and fiction just in the fact that this character that they know from TV is now this authority figure and somehow that makes them more trustworthy because yeah. of familiarity. I think a lot of people don't think for themselves much anymore. It's always like you fall to the peer pressure of what other people think. Like, and I get it, you know, peer pressure is hard, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta kind of start thinking for yourself. Like, I understand like we're group animals, like, you know, relationships are a part of us and they're important to us. And so if you're not a part of the group, it causes all this distress, but there comes, there's a point to where, you know, you need to make the right decision over the group decision. And I think there's definitely this, the government is kind of like this whole false sense of power that we give them. Like, if you think about it, we could all, you know, unite together and start, like, we don't have to listen to them. Right. We just give them this big sense of false power. Like, we don't have to listen to Donald Trump if we don't want to, technically. Mm-hmm. But, but they get people so scared with the narrative yeah. that he's this crazy, out-of-control, off-the-handle guy that's going to start World War III that pe- even people that were wise enough to just tune out to all that and keep focusing on building up themselves and building up their own energy are now getting right, roped back into watching what they want you to watch, which yeah. is uh, this narrative that they're feeding about war, death, violence, terrorism, blah, yada, 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 everything's collapsing. Yeah, that's what they want you to think. They want you in that state of fear because if you're afraid, then you think you're going to need something. You think that something's running out. Mm-hmm. And no, we don't. We could survive <laughs> so easily on our own. Just grow your own garden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, people keep surviving. That's one thing about them. And you'll be no different if you get forced to. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's people that live in garbage dumps, you know? Like, that's <laughs> they're still alive. Like, that's such a terrible life, but they're still alive. Yeah. And we don't have to choose a terrible life just because we're going to get independent of these centralized control structures. We just need to realize that, as you were saying, groupthink is super dangerous. Groupthink is super dangerous. And one of the, uh, the, the biggest controlling forms of groupthink that are going on right now are not what people think they are. It's A, money. Mm-hmm. Huge groupthink, mind control about money. Everybody thinks that it's literally to be um, symbolized as life force itself is like you can't live without money so that means that it is life force life energy mm-hmm. oil another big illusion that's one people are waking up to but it's still like we're still driving cars around so we have like a water powered <laughs> cars but the gas and the oil industries are so corrupt that they just anytime anybody comes out with this and they try and put it forward they sue them and do something and they just they Make the product disappear. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't let anybody hear about it. <laughs> yeah, but that, that can only go on so long because if we just keep sharing information, it can't be, we can't keep a lid on it forever. Mm-hmm. But the, the third thing that I want to touch on in groupthink that's so dangerous that people are really going to resist at first because they've been so indoctrinated to believe this one 
democracy is not your friend, people. <laughs> Believe me, I don't care what form it takes because the very idea behind democracy is that a majority gets to decide things for a minority. Nope, that is not correct. Nobody has the natural law right to tell another person what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. Nobody has that right. And so you cannot give a group of people a right that an individual doesn't have. Mm -hmm. But we have this idea with democracy. And when you combine that with all the group think mind control going on, you've got the ability to divide the population along so many different dimensions and degrees that every single person is a minority and a majority at the same time, feeding into the cycle of perpetuating the idea that democracy is good and keeping people in a state of imbalance because you're essentially like looking at other people as below you at a certain time mm -hmm. and then looking at other people as oppressing you at another time. And that locks you into this conflict model and keeps you interested in like watching the news about what's going on with your group or like staying in the know in social media, like mm -hmm. um, black lives matter. No dude, no lives matter in this game actually, <laughs> especially to the masters, no lives matter. Yeah. But in reality, no life matters more than another life. And all so I won't even say all lives matter. We'll just say no lives matter and drop that. <laughs> and your life has infinite value. I'm not saying it doesn't, but as soon as you start trying to like, uh, as soon as you start dividing along any of those degrees, that's when you're more easily manipulated. Yeah. Nobody's more important than one another. Exactly. We're all just kind of a whole and we got to work together. <laughs> I think, I think population control, like, you know, how population is just, like, burst and it's just going to keep getting, you know, more and more people. Um, I think since there's so many people, it's hard to control them all, which is partially why we have government. Is cause, government means mind control. Yeah. Governmente. Go govern is to control or to decide for. And mente, mentale latin mind mental yeah. mind control is the definition of government so if you don't believe that there's mind control happening and you you know that the word government exists just think about that please <laughs> <laughs> and it's always in the language too um again like we brought up before that is actually how a lot of the control system operates is through restriction of language that's how they keep mm -hmm. people in keeping certain things associated with certain judgments, like the word drugs, for example, everybody is meant to think all things that are called drugs are a certain type of dangerous or negative or whatever, you know. Our language affects uh, our outlook on things. That's partially how culture and society are kind of like built upon because it's kind of not like. Our feelings don't exactly build our language, but our language builds our feeling and our definition in our minds of what things are. They're like they're symbols for things. They become symbols for things. And now you've really touched on something that uh, has got people all turned around, which is the linguistic association with certain internal feelings and states that people have. Mm -hmm. There are certain times when energy will happen in your body that is different or unfamiliar and because we're all in a unique little bubble inside of ourselves you can't necessarily guarantee that someone else has felt what it is that you're feeling right then and so you can't necessarily 
believe that if another person is describing a certain feeling as meaning something, that that is what it means for you too. Yeah. But that's what happens. And so like any kind of foreign high energy um, feeling that gets you really into the present moment tends to get associated with fear or anxiety. And that's part of the programming with those words themselves. Mm -hmm. And that allows people to start getting into the loop of thinking, oh, I have anxiety. I can't do this because it makes me feel this way. When in reality, you're just having a physiological reaction to something and you could have just as readily decided to associate that physiological reaction with being excited or ready or something. Yeah. But now it means anxiety to you and every time it comes on, you shut it down. There's good anxiety and there's bad anxiety. I watched a TED Talk. Those are pretty freaking awesome. Uh, this lady talked about how we shouldn't go against all types of anxiety and stress. We should kind of work with it because it's just our body kind of getting hyped up for what we're about to do so it can actually complete that task. Exactly. Um, it's not tearing us down. It's trying to build us up, but there's such a huge negative association with it. Like, yeah, it is an uncomfortable feeling, but it's it's not meant to hurt you all the time, you know? And with a lot of internal states, as soon as you judge it as one thing or another, it does actually kind of transform it into that thing that you judge it as. So with a lot of, as with everything, the more you can release the judging aspect itself and just be in a state of observation, the easier though, whatever it is becomes. And the more, the more you are able to actually understand it on an objective truth level and mm -hmm. instead of uh, this, this twisted perception that is being caused by judgment. And because we're programmed to constantly be the judge, we also are programmed to constantly feel like we're the judged. Mm -hmm. And that was actually something that was coming across in some of your artwork was that feeling, that internal character that we all have that tells us all the time that um, what we're doing isn't okay or that other people are looking at us funny. And is as powerful as that voice can be in our, in our psyche and convincing as it can be, the reality is most people are too busy listening to that voice to ever actually be judging you actively like you're afraid they are. <laughs> In high school, I had, like, that was the time where I had, like, the worst case of social anxiety and the lowest self-esteem. Like, anytime I would walk in, I would just constantly be worrying about what everyone was thinking about, you know, how they were thinking about me. And... How I looked and how I walked, like I would be even cautious of how I sat my bag down because yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm stupid or ridiculous or something. They're going to judge me and make fun of me. And I'm not going to lie, like, yeah, I've been made fun of in school a couple times, but that doesn't mean everybody's, you know, doing that. And I think after thinking that way for such a long time, it's hard to reprogram yourself to realize you know, if I'm feeling this way, a lot of other people are probably feeling the same way about themselves. Nobody is focused on you all the time. Just like how you're focusing on yourself, everybody else is focusing on themselves. Like, when it comes down to it, everyone's kind of self-absorbed too much to actually think about, you know, everybody else and what they're doing. It's this weird paradox because we're self-absorbed in a way that causes us to be constantly focused on how our self is being perceived and perceiving the external world. Yeah. But the true nature, although all is self, including the external world, the closest you're ever going to get to seeing yourself is actually looking within. 
And so by being in that cycle of focusing on the external world and its creation of yourself through its judgments and feeling like that's keeping you in a box, that actually, even though you're focused on self, you're not focused on true self. You're not focused on the inner self. You're focused on that external connection to the world. And um, so that's like the difference, in my opinion, between lowercase s self, which is an egoic self, mm-hmm. and the true uppercase s self, which is actually a component to all life. It is the thing that connects universal life, because for any form of consciousness, the uh, if you strip away all types of identity and uh, identity is always kind of based in relation to an external because if it's just internal that's like void that's infinite potentiality Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, if you if you are not relate i lost my flow there but if you're oh it's okay if if you're not relating yourself to the outside anymore and just relating to the inside uh you'll soon discover that that sense of I am after you strip away all those other external identifiers is universally the same sense of I am for any form of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that's the uppercase self that has no real ability to be defined or contained. And that's also what you call the soul because it's, is paradoxically nothing and generating everything. Yeah, it's nothing but can become everything. Yeah. In the tarot, that's represented by the zero card, which is called the fool. But in the original tarot, it was actually called the soul. Oh. But if you've ever seen uh, English from a long time ago, when they first started printing English, the way that they printed S and F looked really similar and actually caused those letters to get flipped in certain English words and in certain traditions. And the tarot is one of those where the soul actually became the fool. But in a way, because it also represents the way the soul comes into incarnation fresh and new and without any knowledge or identifiers, as we're saying, the true soul is like that empty blank slate canvas Mm -hmm. that you can create anything with. Um, the fool is still a sort of valid symbol for that because a fool doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And it's thinking that you know things that sort of collapse things down into being. And that's thinking you know things is the same thing as judgment. Um, feeling that you know things is sort of a different thing altogether. That's coming from the internal. That's where you can get more true reality, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. There's, there's so much stuff you can... Just bounce off of all this and go into so many different topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to my brain. This is our first time meeting. <laughs> yeah, it's, mine, mine's kind of like in different planes. Like I feel like our planes are like colliding, our universes are colliding, our ways of thinking. That's it's what actual talk, like a real conversation does that. Because mm-hmm. it's like two... If the soul is very shiny and mirror-like, and whenever it's actually being looked at, it reflects the light back. And so we're sort of, our information that our, our monads of consciousness contain are mixing in that back and forth reflection, and you generate new information. And you'll see in the, in the conversation with the other person, you'll start to see what it is that you think mm-hmm. in so much as you can connect it to where it exists in them. So if you're both like really shiny and clear in the transmission, then you'll both get a better idea of what it is that you think. Mm-hmm. That's my theory on how, how <laughs> conscious conversation yeah. is working. It's like mirrors, neck, like uh, two mirrors facing each other. That's cool. <laughs>
I lost my train of thought too. I think it's also us. I've been thinking during this conversation, the guests can't really see this, but we have a interesting duality just in our uh, physical appearances mm-hmm. because I, I have like, uh, I'm male, I have brown hair and I'm wearing very colorful clothing. And then you're female with light hair wearing all black. It's like dualistic. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm, I'm actually really into like the Harajuku fashion and everything. Well, you have to explain that, that to me. Oh, you don't know what that is? Oh man. Um, well, there's a place in Japan, it's called Harajuku. Uh, they, it's just, it was this place that kind of became like the place for like crazy kind of fashion. Okay. And people... I've probably seen these pictures then. Yeah. Uh, it's like really like Neo-Victorian... Super Lolita. Pro- that's Lolita. That's like a component of this. Yeah. Lolita bursted out and then Fairy K. There's a lot of stuff. There's like Fairy K. There's Mori K. There's Lolita. There's uh, Otome. There's, there's a whole bunch, but it's basically just all these different types of crazy fashions and... I don't know. I got in. I got into like Lolita first, and then I got into a bunch of other stuff. Um, I find it really neat because it's kind of like it's empowering and it's like a form of self-expression. Yeah. And it's a rejection of the repressed aspects of mm-hmm. how we're meant to like look and behave in mm-hmm. regular everyday interactions with each other. Mm-hmm. Because like we were saying, those cultural memes are very restrictive. <laughs> Japan's a very, I guess, like left-brained type of society. So whenever they do bust out and express themselves, it's that much more wild and crazy. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that people love about Japan, Jap- Japanese culture. Yeah, I, I definitely want to go there. I, I'm trying to plan on studying abroad for a while because their whole culture and just... The way they kind of think in their society, you know, like it's more it's more about nature than I'd say here. Mm-hmm. We're one of the largest trash production, you know, countries in the world. In Japan, it's like I I mean, you hear about people like you only they'll stop and pick up trash off the streets. Everyone keeps everything really clean because there's a sense of pride of you know being clean and presentable. And um, and that it's the individual's responsibility to do something. Like if you see the piece of trash, then that means you're the one whose job yeah. is to pick it up. It's it's kind of like okay, like a group, and everyone is so important there. It's kind of like I need to do this for the group. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. kind of got that group sense and thinking about the best for the whole, which is good and bad in some ways. I know. Um, in psychology there they're kind of getting more with the individualistic approach instead of the group think i mean like they're moving that direction mm-hmm. which kind is of, a natural thing like it sort of oscillates i feel like from mm-hmm. um, generation to generation within cultures but everything over there i don't know just the things i've heard and the things i've read and the things i've studied about it seems so interesting i like how despite the fact that they are a pretty left brain society in terms of their real rigidity of production and scheduling everything and like manners and everything's tightly tightly knit and constructed Mm -hmm. they still have a lot of room for spirit and spirituality Mm -hmm. and whether that comes from 
like Shinto religion or other forms of religion that exist in Japan, or just from these little cultural memes of, hey, there's a fox spirit that lives in this well right here. So if you put a coin in there, the fox spirit will mm -hmm. give you good luck. And we don't have ideas like that. We're so completely boxed in by Christianity that even people that would like to think that way and would like to have little cultural traditions like that most of the time are afraid to express it due to the idea that it'll be judged. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's kind of sad because I think that regardless of what you think about um, non-physical spirits existing or not, even there's even a very real thing called the placebo effect where yeah. if you have the belief that something's going to give you good luck, that could actually be a form of boosting you. Mm -hmm. I, was, I, was, I was thinking that exact same thing. <laughs> I was going to mention that. Um, I think it's kind of, you know, how America is supposed to be this place of everyone is free here, everyone has freedom of choice, freedom of religion, but it's kind of like, <laughs> not, not exactly, you know. We have more freedom of choice, I guess, but freedom of, well, we have the illusion of freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. We have freedom of choice to, to think what we want, but because there's so much, um, entrainment and indoctrination especially in the system we call school mm -hmm. which is really indoctrination um our minds don't tend to go out of those boxes that have been set up for us and that's what is unfortunate because you can think anything you want but if they can it make you, you not submit to society yeah <laughs> yeah and that's like that's the thing that really kills the creative spirit in general um mm -hmm. there's there's hope for us yet, though. I think many people are waking up, whether it's through getting into something that expands the mind, like psychedelics, or getting into art, or yoga, or whatever it is that can help you feel something outside of what is the range of what you're supposed to be made to feel, which honestly in this the way that this cultural program is running the range that they want to keep you in is one of fear anxiety mm -hmm. uh, and like defeat so anytime you can get yourself out of that in any way you're beating you know you're beating the bad guys yeah i feel like there's this kind of sense of people people want to be the, the victim now mm -hmm. there's a lot of sense of like they want to get that attention and that pity from other people. And it's kind of sad. Like, And then that shit. those groups of people will then turn around and victimize or bully other people mm -hmm. who step outside of the confines of what they're thinking. Like the whole social justice phenomenon online has gotten so out of hand. Mm -hmm. It's like seeing people just, I don't even know how to express this. It's like, hold on. Sorry. It's okay. Um, seeing people like take those real issues and want the attention of those issues that haven't exactly happened and just, gosh, I know the word, but I can't think of it. It's, it's kind of insulting to those who have had to deal with all that stuff and their real problems are getting turned into this 
fun thing, this fun identity that you want to have. Yeah, it's like group identification thing. Like, mm -hmm. and that's one, I guess, symptom of having no individual um, connection to your own identity. Mm -hmm. But the only way you can get that is by looking within. And a lot of us have had so much traumatization that we, like we talked about at the beginning, we don't want to look within. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I guess the solution, at least the way that you've described it, is just finding a way to express what's in there, mm -hmm. or even even if it's something that's hard to look at at first, because <clears throat> there's anything that's created has got to have value if you're the one that was putting your energy into it. Mm -hmm. And if even if that thing that you're creating is coming out in a, you know, distorted from what you were imagining or picturing it as, or in some way is troubling or, you know, expressing something that you could possibly perceive as negative. Well, all that it takes to transform negative, negative energy or darkness is to shine light on it or look at it. I, that's, that's a big part of what I've done with my whole life. I've taken all these negative things that have happened and tried to look at the positive side of it. It's like, okay, these things are happening. I, like, for example, I know how I don't want other people to feel. I know how I don't want to treat other people. I know what to stand up to. Like, I felt, I felt so guilty the other day. Um, I was walking home from work, and there's this man... He was really tall. He had like short blonde hair. Um, he was on the phone. We were waiting at like, you know, one of those uh, crosswalks mm -hmm. and the light turned and some people pulled up in a car and they started harassing this guy. They're like, hey, hey, pretty boy, you want to get fucked? And all this. It was, it was just weird. Yeah, it was weird. and It was bad. And I felt bad that I didn't do anything at that time. Um, like, like those are the things you need to stand up to and be like, don't, don't be like that to him. That's, that's just going to cause him to feel bad. You know, like, yeah, it's sad how people can't, some people can't see outside of their body and see what they're doing to others, like putting themselves in their shoes. Uh, but I just, I felt so guilty because I, and I can see why some people don't stand up. It's kind of like a shock whenever things like that happen. Cause you don't know exactly what to do. Uh huh. So. And it it's kind of a moment of not knowing what's going to happen mm -hmm. if you do, like, jump in and engage it. I would say the best advice I would give for that type of situation coming up is neutrality. Not saying don't necessarily engage it, but, um, like, those guys were driving, right? So they were kind of about to, they were about to just drive off whenever mm -hmm. it happened. So you're not probably going to get anything out of like yelling, Hey, you fuckers, <laughs> you know, like that's not going to help. Yeah. But, um, what might help is that guy. If you just say like, Hey, you're right. That was weird. And not like angry at those people or not enforcing like, Hey, you just got victimized. Just being like, yeah. Hey, what's up? That was weird. And because <laughs> the way that, the way that charge works itself and negative experiences and energy that we go through work on the same principles as charge is that if a negative charge encounters a neutral charge is grounded and neutralized. Mm -hmm. So if you are like, and to be a grounded person, 
as simple as it might sound is actually not that far off uh, to say that all it is is a choice mm -hmm. and being aware that you can be grounded and decide to be neutral whenever you engage something um, as long as you make that conscious awareness and choice like okay I'm going to hit this with neutrality then it will go down that way and that like they're not gonna like that guy probably would have been fine and you would have felt fine mm -hmm. and then the whole experience wouldn't even be in your mind right now to think about you yeah. know what i mean so like that negative charge of those guys yelling crazy shit um even though they're yelling at this other guy it actually got into you and and that vibration was inside you enough that you remember it later mm -hmm. and like we're neutralizing it right now by bringing attention to it and that's a reason why it stays in there so that it can get neutralized whenever you're ready or whenever the right circumstances come up to do that. But yeah, you can always just like, it's part like not caring. <laughs> it's, it's part not caring, but also, also caring. Like you care enough to make sure that no harm was done, I guess is one way of looking at it. I don't know, but there's also, it's also a learning experience. I don't mean to say that you did anything incorrect in that situation yeah. either. Not at all. In fact, I'm glad so that we can have this little conversation about the anecdote. Yeah. It's a, it's a topic that comes up. And like for me, an example would be, I was at the grocery store. I was walking into the door a couple of days ago and uh, this older lady started coming out who had, was clearly real fucked up in her back and she was like oh, completely no. hunched over and was trying to carry her bag. And, uh, I go, I, I almost didn't say anything, but my mind was like, just ask her if you can help her with that bag. And then the other part of my mind, like the ego part, I guess was like, no, nah, she doesn't want help or yeah, you're embarrassed right. to talk to a stranger or whatever. Just don't do it, man. You have, you don't have to do it. And then I saw that that, lowercase s self was trying to take over my consciousness in that moment and change my feeling because my my feeling my true feeling was hey i want to help mm -hmm. and and instead of letting it take over which many many times in the past i would have just been like yeah i'm not gonna help and then walked down and forgot about it instead i was like yeah i can help her out and i said hey can i carry the, that bag for you and then what's interesting to witness is that her reaction was like no no i don't oh. you shouldn't help me you know, like, don't, don't help me. Like it was, uh, almost like she was enjoying, not enjoying, but embodying the role of like, I'm this victimized person that can barely even carry my bag, but oh. I'm going to hobble along with it. And I was like, no, no, it's really okay. Let me just carry it. And <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I did carry it and it was fine. And I, I really didn't like worry about her mood or energy from that point on, I just carried the bag and set it down because that was all that was trying to be done internally was that I wanted to help carry the bag and that was it. But I don't know, it's sort of an example of what we're talking about because I could have made the other choice and just walked on in and many times I have. And we're meant to do, we're, we're meant to have those little moments of helping each other if we can. That's why we're all in the right place at the right time as we are. <laughs> I think it's all just an experience of growing the soul. Yeah, just, life it is. Life yeah. is, you mean? Yeah, just everything. It's, I feel like it's just one stage of, you know, the whole, like your whole life, not not just life here. Yes. Like, yeah. Like this is just one little gestation period of something greater. Yeah. Well, that's a that's an awesome viewpoint because it, 
it allows you to really see your experiences as training and help. And it's what I think a good way to look at what's going on is we're learning what the university actually is. The universe university actually is, is we're learning the codes for things because we are actually at our core. We are this creative, imaginative awareness that both sees things and perceives things based on its own way of looking at it, but also creates things based on its way of looking at it. It's like our imagination itself is two sided. Mm -hmm. Both what we're looking at filters through our imagination and what we're outputting. And so that that's all being channeled through the awareness, which is at the core. That's all we already are. All we really are is that self awareness, uppercase S self. Mm -hmm. And so you could say that thing is a creative being it what it is is creative at that is the basic thing that it is that we are so by being here in this matrix where there's birds and trees and um desks and all this stuff it allows us to have a code to work with and if we learn the code through getting in balance and harmony with all the different parts of the of life itself of the natural world then it, then we'll be able to move on to a phase after this where we take that code we've learned and make our own thing. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be based on what it is we like. But possibly if you get really focused on all this stuff and identify with all this stuff that is creating suffering, very possibly what's going to happen is the next thing that you create, the next life is probably going to be still filled with all that stuff until mm -hmm. you learn the value of creating things differently yeah it's but we have to have that that initial type of suffering and negativity to help us learn yeah. you know that's that's what i try and that's why i try and take the positive out of the negative because i think yeah just like you were saying we all we do need to go through those negative experiences those unpleasant events to learn from them that's that's what i think grows you as a person you know if nobody has those, then it's like they don't understand what it's like to be on the other side and experience those emotions and those feelings and everything that comes with it. So I think if you experience everything, then you're able to help yourself and help others with, you know, if they're having a hard time with those experiences, being able to relate and help them, you know, take the good out of that instead of the negative and grow. That's kind of my main goal for psychology. I'm majoring uh, in, you know, psychology to be a therapist and for college. So. Yeah, that's um, it's a very important thing to be able to understand human psychology. I've been personally diving into a lot of occulted information, ancient psychology, to understand the forms of symbolic um, manipulation that's being going been going on through the government or mind controller yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know like there's there's um there's nothing new under the sun as they say so it is important to figure out how our psyche works and figure out how ourselves work so that we can start to generate the experiences that we want mm -hmm. and helping others is a big component because if you are going to create your own world later on after this lifetime or however many it takes to learn the code well, mm -hmm. you'll probably populate it with beings and you want them to be able to 
Um, it's like if you were making a video game, you want to design the level well so that they get better at the game when they're in the level, but also it's enjoyable, but also it's challenging. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's all, that, all that stuff. It's making the perfect game. That's what life is. It's like we're all students becoming teachers in a way. Yeah. But yeah, life is totally video game-esque. <laughs> totally. What you said about we're all students becoming teachers, that kind of made me think of like, you know, tar- time goes in this linear fashion where we start out young and then we get older and then you know we we die um to at least that's what we perceive it as yeah it's it's crazy like that time goes that direction it doesn't go in some other way and then just in those different stages of life what you've learned in those different stages of life and what it all amounts to in the end it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's. I think that self-awareness is one of the components of self-awareness is keeping that mindset as you go through your life so that you are looking at the moment and the tapestry that it's contained within mm-hmm. simultaneously. And then you're really growing and moving. Then you're in the flow of what life is really about, which is to teach you. Yeah, like... If you really think about it, that's there's no there's no other thing that could be the purpose of life because we all do die in the end, and it's I definitely think it's about bettering the self and learning. So what we do experience after this life, you know. And even to die is not what people think it is, in my opinion. If you look at the meaning of the word die etymologically, it actually means two. Or to split, to divide in two. Mm-hmm. So I you're think saying we lose to your our physical body. Exactly, you're saying to your body, "Yo, body, I'm not really getting anything out of this experience anymore. <laughs> um, it kind of sucks." Or we've uh, we've completed the whole circuit. Maybe it doesn't suck, but we're just done here. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna start preparing you to dip. That's why people that are really, really out of whack psychologically have so many physical manifestations of illness and stuff because. Their body's going to die. I mean, if your soul is not indwelling within your body, then because it's so you're creating such a traumatic experience for your own awareness by the way that you're behaving or it's so uncomfortable to live in your body because of how terrible a job you're doing of taking care of it. Your soul checks out. It does. And I've seen plenty of people whose soul is checked out right now. And it doesn't mean they don't have a soul or that they're not human, but for some reason, there are these people that are not looking within in any capacity that is allowing them to um, consciously at least make the choices necessary to get them out of the loops of suffering they're in. That doesn't mean they're not going to eventually get busted out of the loop and learn something. And also, it's like a spectrum. Maybe in some ways, they are still progressing and learning, and life is like, you know, part of the day their soul does come back because they're doing something they like because they have this one hobby, but then they're at work the other part of the day and they're just a zombie, you know, or they're medicated in some capacity and that keeps them separate. But so like anytime that your, your, your mind body or your soul body connection is divided like that, you're already experiencing death in a way. I think if you don't grow your soul, if you like instead of reverse and, just 
it starts it starts dying, and so your body starts dying. I think you need to you need to keep learning, keep growing your soul, and yeah, that that moves you on to the next stage. It's like it's actually like a seed. Mm-hmm. Life is actually like a seed that's growing, but it's not that your soul in the body is a seed that's growing and the body is the seed. Actually, the entire reality itself is the seed. Mm-hmm. So, um, like the other beings in it, the other things in it that we all see as separate, because it all does actually share that core component of selfness and beingness. It's all one thing in that way. That is the, uh, and it's all, it's got all that code within it. Like I was describing of all the different things that can be experienced and had, mm-hmm. that's the same as a seed because in this tiny little thing, all the genetic code is there that creates all the various expressions that are possible for that thing. Mm-hmm. And then your physical body, the DNA in your body itself is very similar. I mean, you start as a two celled organism essentially and that code somehow expands into not just the physical manifestation of your body, but all the things that you're able to do just instinctually and all the experiences that came before you that somehow epigenetically shape us psychologically. And that's, that's a whole nother weird area of science, actually <laughs> epigenetics. Yeah. I, I don't know too much about that. Well, it's how um, environmental conditions affect genetic expression. Oh, like nature and nurture. Sort of, sort of. but also like nature and nurture, but also, um, all the different aspects that could expect it could change gene expression. Hmm. So even just the fact that we're living in these dissonant fields in cities, like we talked, touched on that actually is a, a impacting genetic expression in a way like the full potential and range of what a human being is capable of expressing and growing into is probably so far beyond what we are in, in this matrix that it's a illusory matrix that is kind of inconceivable to us right now. Like we're not growing to our full potential. Not even close because that potential is actually infinite. The the value of the individual infinite, mm-hmm. the ability to express and expand and create infinite, but all dependent on the component of imagination. And that's why the indoctrination system fights our imagination down into a little dark little box and, puts it in there and closes it up and locks it up and throws it in the ocean and shoots a nuclear bomb at it. (laughs) It's all against us. Well, because if you, I mean, it is true though. I mean, whenever you're in school, you're not, you're not, you're not being taught how to think. You're being taught what to think. And if you can't imagine a different life for yourself or a different anything, then you can't have that thing. So if you put a lock and key on the imagination, then that's the, that's basically the only thing you need for mind control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we must rebel against the mind control yeah. and create art. <laughs> it's just all of this. Like I realize how, how, you know, how realistic it is that the realistic possibility that we can actually rebel and turn the world into a good place where, we work with nature. We don't fight against it. It's happening. For, I, I just, I don't see it. I kind of see, I don't know if it's just pessimistic of me, but I see like it as, you know, the government is just getting stronger and people are getting more, you know, well, there is a divide going on. That's true. Um, 
there are there are aspects of it that are going want that negative direction that you see but then um you've already said it you're gonna have your own place where you're growing your own food someday mm -hmm. that's a fact you're disconnecting you're going you're going the other direction it's infinite in both directions so it doesn't matter where you're at on this on this ladder it just matters what way you're facing and what you're paying attention to and drawing drawing closer towards mm -hmm. so even if even if a big section of humanity ends up somehow even wiping itself out, if we're able to in, to be individually sovereign and not dependent on any of those systems as they're crumbling, then they're not going to matter that much. And it's just symbolic of the fact that we're hitting delete on that type of program anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll suck to see suffering on massive scales if that does take place. But uh, human freedom is increasing, I think, regardless of what the controllers are trying to do to stop that. And it's just a matter of, just a matter of time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. a matter of the individual doing it for themselves. Yeah, like, that's also part of it. Like, it's it's so conflicting because it's like, if we have, you know, everyone's like, well, I'm just one person, what can I do? But then it's like, if everybody... You know, they're all just one person that makes up the mass. If we all do something, it'll amount to that. But then there's this huge feeling, this huge group think of, oh, I'm just one person. What can I do? And it's it's just crazy. You can do whatever you want. That's what the one person can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's exciting. I think that we're moving in a good direction. Um, I guess we've kind of gone a little over the time I okay. I uh, told us for the interview, and now I'm thinking about it. You probably aren't looking at a clock to realize that, so uh -huh. we'll wrap this up. Uh, anything you want to say to the listeners before we uh -huh. finish our talk here? Thanks, thanks <laughs> you. Thanks for inviting me me to um, come and do this. This is awesome, and uh, don't don't take negative energy from your negative experiences try and try and learn from it channel it into positive energy and you know better yourself as a person don't let it crush you down that's all we can really ask of ourselves right yeah that's the way yeah. cool well thanks for coming on i really appreciate you taking a chance and just going over to somebody's house that you don't know and recording <laughs> an hour 20 minute long conversation because that is a that does actually take a form of bravery and self-respect to be willing to just, you know, express yourself in that way. Yeah. It's cool. And I think the listeners are really glad you did because this has been an awesome conversation. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you guys next week.